wonder if you remember the um, recent campaign called Nevertheless She Persisted. Um, it was just, just a few years ago, um, you may recall Senator Elizabeth Warren in the States was objecting to the confirmation of Senator Jeff Sessions as the US Attorney General uh, because of his record on uh, civil rights. And the US Senate uh, voted to silence her, trying to shut her up really. And in an effort to defend the Senate's actions and to put the blame on Senator Elizabeth Warren, the Senate Majority Leader at the time, Mitch McConnell, said this, she was warned, she was given an explanation, nevertheless she persisted. And I think he hoped that was an end to the story, but that expression went viral as feminists posted it with hashtag references uh, all over the place to other women who have persisted in breaking barriers despite being silenced or ignored. Uh, think of Emmeline Pankhurst and the suffragettes, Marie Curie, scientist, Rosa Parks uh, at the beginning of the civil rights movement in the States, uh, Malala Yousafzai um, from Afghanistan and now um, having a worldwide mission from the UK. And we might add our own Kiwi woman, Kate Shepherd. Helen Clark and others, nevertheless she persisted. And after hearing today's gospel, surely we could add this unnamed woman to the list of heroic women who nevertheless persisted. Because she had everything against her in her encounter with Jesus. Matthew sets the scene, he makes it clear that Jesus has travelled out of his home region of Galilee and he's gone northwest into the district of Tyre and Sidon uh, right on the Mediterranean coast and that is Gentile territory. So today this would be Lebanon and that's very much just, it's just south of Beirut actually and of course Beirut is still very much in our thoughts and prayers. Mark's version of the story says um, the woman was Syrophoenician, which is just a geographical description, Syria and Phoenicia, which are there on the coast. But Matthew actually stacks the cards against this woman even more by calling her a Canaanite woman. Um, and he's talking of the ancient enemies of the people of Israel, those with whom they'd contested the right to live in the land. And it would be like saying today, um, a Palestinian woman or a woman from Gaza came and started shouting at Jesus. She would soon be arrested today if she made her way in. And my stole today is actually made by a Palestinian uh, woman in Jerusalem. Yes, this woman creates a scene, and I like the way um, in the picture there she's coming in, and she has her child with her, who so often perhaps gets almost left out of the story. But it's interesting, she's heard enough of Jesus to use the right language of him. Have mercy on me, Lord, she says. That could be straight out of the Psalms. Or as we sometimes pray, Lord, have mercy. And she calls Jesus son of David. So somehow she knows about Jesus' Jewish heritage. He's the descendant of King David. I wonder if she knows that this is a title that's being bandied around, wondering if Jesus is the Messiah. But her overriding concern, and that's what's got her through the door, uh, what wrings the emotion from her is her daughter, who's desperately ill, who is tormented. The first thing we hear, though, is, but Jesus did not answer her at all. And we can think, well, what's going on here? We can start to feel a bit uncomfortable. 
This doesn't seem to be the Jesus we know and love who responds to everybody with compassion and concern. Is he just doing what he should actually as a good Jewish rabbi in public? He should not actually acknowledge a woman who, who he doesn't know, who's not part of his family. So it's interesting, isn't it, thinking about bubbles and public and private spheres. And, and as a Jewish rabbi, he should not acknowledge a woman who should know that she could keep her place in the private sphere. In those times, women would be out the back or doing the serving. Um, she shouldn't be making a spectacle of herself pushing in to the public arena. New Testament scholar Ken Bailey thinks Jesus is playing this role deliberately all the more to shock his disciples later on. Well, I wonder. The, the disciples are sitting there at the table are certainly the ones who make the right response in terms of what should happen in polite society. Get rid of her. Get rid of the problem. She keeps shouting after us. She's making a scene. She's bringing us into disrepute or shame. Their focus, though, is all on themselves and their own reputation. And they're not really seeing the woman in front of them at all, let alone her little child. Now, Jesus' reply almost sounds like to us he's repeating a sort of a formula. You know, this is my job description. This is, what I'm, this is my mission statement. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And indeed, that was actually exactly what he'd said to the 12 disciples uh, when he'd sent them out on mission just a few chapters earlier in Matthew's Gospel. Do not go among the Gentiles. Do not enter any town of the Samaritans. These are all foreigners. These are all out of bounds in terms of the way um, society was operating. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. That is where you are to go. And Matthew almost paints a picture, a picture of Jesus sort of ruminating to himself, running it over in front of himself, wrestling with himself. He's rehearsing his sense of mission. Yes, I'm called, first of all, to my own people. But confronted by the needs of a larger world, focused in this woman right in front of him, right in his face, I wonder, actually, is Matthew also thinking about the struggles of the community that he's writing for? Uh, in the, we think Matthew's writing in about the 70s or so, 70s of 80s. It's still early days as people think about this amazing things that Jews and Gentiles could be together in the church. And so this story is really important to the early church as they think about that. Or are they going to start splitting and pushing people out? Just who are the people of God? Nevertheless, she persisted. There she is. And she kneels before Jesus with her child. Incidentally, she gets in his way. Uh, he can't move. But the most important thing is the word is actually used of someone prostrating themselves down in front of them in worship. Um, so it's not just demeaning, humbling themselves, if you like. It's actually recognizing this is someone who has power and authority, someone who might be worthy of worship. And so for the sake of her child, she is willing to get down on the ground and beg, Lord, help me. Well, it's hard, perhaps, to believe the response she gets from Jesus at first. He seems to speak quite harshly to this mother who is just desperate with concern for her child. 
It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Well, scholars have fallen all over themselves trying to soften the blow of this and uh, to rehabilitate Jesus' image. And so we wonder, is this perhaps a well-known proverb um, or something that Jesus is quoting? Is this the sort of thing that was said as a proverb, like we have so many proverbs that we've known since childhood? Are they engaged in a sort of whimsical sort of repartee? Is there a sort of a twinkle in the eye? Is there a sort of a pushing and pulling as sparring partners engage? Is Jesus actually trying to say, um, you know, actually to have a little bit of a, a little bit of argy-bargy with her, if you like? Um, is he drawing, in fact, faith out of her? The disciples are watching. The word that Jesus uses for dog is actually not, it's not a, um, it's not a rude word, if you like. It's not, a, um, it's not um, the unclean street dogs who would have been out, uh, curs or whatever you might call them. The word is actually for a puppy dog or a pet dog. Um, it's a little dog. It's your, it's your puppy-sized dog. <laughs> um, it's a little dog. And it's the little dogs who were allowed to be inside under the tables. Um, they'd be there under the table. Uh, remember, people ate around. They lay um, reclined at the tables, if you like. And yes, there were plenty of puppy dogs under the tables. And they were, um, oh, I know in your family you never feed the scraps, but, you know, this is what happened. Scraps did go under the table, and that's what those little puppy dogs had. Well, that's possible. Is Jesus also being deeply challenged by this woman who's there and who is breaking through every barrier, who's pushing every barrier that should have kept her away from Jesus as a woman, as a foreigner, as a Gentile, and she just courageously just keeps there, she just keeps persisting and pushing, and it's just her love for her child that drives her onwards and keeps her there, keeps her from being pushed away into the background, keeps her from being pushed back into the kitchen. And is Jesus' understanding of his own calling and his own mission to the lost sheep of Israel being opened up, being blown open, really? His disciples' eyes must have just about popped out of their heads. They fully expected she would be sent away. And his vision... Um, he's wanting, he's keeping her there. He's expanding their vision too by this woman's appeal uh, to whatever she has heard of Jesus. She, she's desperate she, and she knows something about him and that draws her to the only one who can save her daughter in her desperate search for healing for her. Jesus responds to that. Jesus always responds to that longing for healing to that coming to him, being drawn to him, coming to him in faith, and certainly coming to him in desperation. He responds to her courage. He responds to her persistence. He responds to her wit straight off. Even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And actually the word for master there is Lord, kurios. Even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the Lord's table. Even the little dogs that are under the table, they're there. Give me even crumbs, she says. Whatever it takes, she's willing to receive in all humility whatever is offered. Her faith, 
Jesus certainly responds to that. Do you remember last week with Peter when he tried to walk on water and Jesus says to him after, um, that it's like a name, little, little faith. Peter, you are little faith. Um, this woman, great is your faith. It's just the opposite. Great is your faith. And Jesus responds to that faith that has drawn her to him and that has kept her persisting and asking that he act on her behalf for the good of her daughter. She's seen and heard enough of him that somehow she knows his life, his ministry is speaking and living out a God of love whose purpose is healing and life and wholeness for everybody. This is a God who breaks down barriers to respond. And it's a God who receives everybody at the table, whether they're at the table or whether they're under the table. Think about that word underdogs. I'm not sure whether that's where it comes from, but it just seems to make sense, doesn't it? Who are those, we talk in our society of underdogs, who are those under the table? Jesus' love and bread is for them too. In the writings of the early church, this persistent woman gets a name, which I think is rather nice, and she's called Justa, just with an A on the end, Justa, the just or the righteous one. But the name um, Justa speaks to me of one who also demands justice on behalf of those who are powerless and vulnerable. And her little daughter also gets a name, which I think is rather nice too. Um, it's Bernice, and so she comes down to us as Bernice. And it's said in the uh, early church story that they became disciples of Jesus. They did indeed become part of Jesus' family. But for whatever reason, perhaps because of their newfound faith, Justa's husband cast them out of their home. And Justa apparently was a woman of some means, uh, but she gave her little daughter, Bernice, in marriage to a Christian man. She wanted him to marry a Christian, uh, even though he happened to be poor. And then she adopted two sons and to be part of her family, but they fell in with the heretic Simon Magus. You may recall that from the book of Acts. Um, he was um, a heretic, a magician. But they were brought back to the truth by Zacchaeus. Isn't it interesting to see all these names um, in the early Christian story? So there is Justa and there is Bernice, who had their place um, named as part of our Christian stories, persistent women of faith. So, of course, as we live out our own faith story today, the challenge comes to us too. If this is the God we believe in, if this is the Jesus that we have come to know and love, who doesn't push that woman back out the door or back out to the kitchen, and if Jesus here broadens his vision of who God loves and accepts and teaches his disciples too, God loves and accepts even those you might think of as little dogs under the table. Just what does that mean for the way we relate to those we meet this week and pass and come across? The next person we meet who breaks our comfort barrier, if you like, for the next COVID sufferer we hear about on our TV screen or the internet, what are the things we say? What are the things we think? For the next discussion we have about the international situation or about our elections or about our local Christchurch issues here. Our world seems to be so quick and certainly on social media to take sides and to push apart and to polarise 
and to demonise and to blame. So who will be that Canaanite woman who challenges me to go beyond my comfort zone and to recognise that we are all loved children of God? Does Justa, the mother of Bernice, also encourage us to persist, to keep coming to Jesus and bringing to Jesus those in need whom we hold in our hearts and those in our prayers, to keep praying, to keep on loving and praying? So may we bring them with us as we come to pray and as we are privileged to today to be fed at Christ's table today, not just with crumbs, we're not just fed with crumbs, but we are fed with Jesus, the bread of life, and then we are called to go out and share that bread of life with others. May it be so for us today. Amen.